Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. This podcast was one of my favorites because my guest, Dr. Amelia, who has been on the podcast before, she dispels so many myths that are floating around on social media about core and quote unquote mom butt. And we talk about how core stability isn't what like shrinks your waist, contrary to what a lot of social media influencers are preaching. We also talk about what mom butt is and how to address it because yes, it is a real thing. We talk about shoes to wear for workouts and so much more. I really think this is a comprehensive podcast that covers a lot. Now at the end, you will hear us talking about Amelia's course. And I want to talk about something because if you've noticed, if you've been a listener of this podcast, I don't do ads. I don't, I'm not bringing people on for the purpose of promoting whatever they're selling. I'm only bringing people on because I believe in what they have to say. And I believe that they can bring education and value to you all listeners. And Amelia actually did not ask me to plug her course at all. I actually brought it up and I asked her to come on the podcast. So it's not like she's paying me to say any of this, but I genuinely, she's too humble to to do that. But I do genuinely believe that taking her course could help so many of you see better results from your workouts and feel better. And I will be purchasing the course myself. I will be going through the course myself. They're making it very reasonably priced and accessible. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes below, but just know that I would not be promoting something unless I truly believe that it could add a lot of value for you all. So that's in the show notes below. Amelia May Poncher is a doctor of physical therapy specializing in women's pelvic health and women's health. She is the director of physical therapy at Genesis PT in Dallas, where she also treats patients throughout the week. So she's doing a lot. She's got this course, she's the director, and she's treating patients. She is a rock star. She also has an amazing social media following. Um, So make sure that you're looking her up. I will link her social media in the show notes below. So she has a background in sports and orthopedics. She previously worked with high school athletes and adult Olympic weightlifting athletes. So she knows her stuff, not just from a PT perspective, but also from an exercise and biomechanics perspective. She loves helping folks return to exercise after injury and pain, pelvic floor dysfunction, and or pregnancy and postpartum. And we talk about all of that today. She holds a certification in functional dry needling and has completed a multitude of pelvic floor and women's health related continuing education courses over the years. This woman knows her stuff. She's an excellent educator, and I'm really excited for our conversation today. So without further ado, here is Amelia. Amelia, welcome back to the podcast. Your first two episodes were such a hit and people love them. So I'm really excited to have you back to dive into some different topics today. I told you this when we were chatting like via email, but I'm just like so humbled and honored that I got to be asked on once, but twice I was like, holy shit. (laughs) So that's amazing. Yay. I mean, I, it's because you are so good. So we all, I think you're the only guest actually that we've had twice now. So yeah. I'm so flattered. Oh my gosh. I'm just like giddy. Uh, Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for being here. This episode, we're going to talk about a few different things. What I want to dive into first is this whole thing that I've been seeing all over social media, which is mom, butt, quote unquote, mom, butt. what is mom, butt? how can you identify if you have it and what can you do to improve it? Yes, it's definitely like a hot topic. It's very like a clickbaity thing, but because it's, it's true, right? So mamba is basically glute overuse, um, in my opinion, and it starts to flatten 
their glutes out because they're so tucked under into what we call posterior pelvic tilt all the time. Um, some people also call it like heart butt syndrome because it like their butt cheeks almost look in a heart shape. And I'm talking like heart, like the shape, not like heart that's in our body. Right. Um, but it's, it's a very convoluted thing, right? Because some people have that from not using their glutes enough, right? You think like, oh, my glutes are really weak. They're not there. I have this flat butt. Yes, that could be true. But I would say for moms, most of the time, it's actually the opposite effect where they are overusing it because holding babies, being pregnant, they're constantly shifting their center of gravity forward. So their weight is more in the front, like the balls of their feet or towards your toes. And so their whole body weight is shifted that way. And to offset their center of gravity or their equilibrium from feeling like they're falling all the time, their glutes also like try to tuck to create some support from the backside of our body because so much is pushing them forward. And it's hard to like say that over a podcast when people can't like see that position, but hopefully that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's basically like about, a tucking, like a tucking and clenching. A clench, yeah. To like gain extra stability or or make you feel like you're not going to fall over, which is like a, yes. a normal thing to happen, right? Like that should happen so that your body you don't fall. doesn't fall, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's just like they're doing it all the time, right? Like every time you hold a baby or carry a kid, you're doing it when you're like going to carry laundry, when you're cooking dinner, because you're just standing there for a long time and your joints have gotten so used to depending on that one position. That's the only area they feel stability in at this point. So they're just going to keep going back there. And then if they're also doing a good thing and working out, then they're like probably overworking their glutes even more because they're like, my butt's so flat. And then they're just continuing the cycle. Yeah. They're like, I know you talk about work my butt every day. And then it's like, oh no, that's not what you need. Because at some point, like that compensatory mechanism during pregnancy, like we said, is like probably should happen. Or what do you recommend during pregnancy and then after pregnancy to kind of like, I don't want to say fix this, but is this normal? Should this be happening during pregnancy? And then after pregnancy, maybe it's just a habit that keep continues on. Yes. I would say that phrase is very correct. Um, I think during pregnancy, like the best thing you could do is exercise. Honestly, strength training is really good. And more than anything, I think offsetting some of that like constant anterior shift or forward shift of your center of gravity as you're growing and baby's getting bigger and belly's getting bigger. Um, it's good to work like your transverse abdominis or like your deep core muscles. Obviously I'm going to say getting good at breathing is helpful in that same vein. Um, and I think just like being able to create more of like that shift backwards. So you can be in like your whole foot instead of being at the front of your foot. So even like single leg exercises are going to be great for that. Cause it's going to force you to feel that whole foot, um, working a ton on your hamstrings will also be really good. It's going to help pull your pelvis into a better position. So that's why I'm like strength training in itself should get you there. We just don't want to overtrain those glutes. Like I know you've talked about before. Yeah. When you are pregnant. Cause what I want to talk about pre- during pregnancy and after pregnancy, is this something that like, okay, if you notice yourself tucking and clenching, should you try to quote unquote, correct that or like reduce that? Or should you just let it happen? Cause that's what your body wants to keep you stable. Like, where do you kind of fall there? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I try to be realistic, right? Like it's not always noticeable when you're doing it. Cause you're in the midst of an activity and your brain is somewhere else. So let's say like cooking dinner or brushing your teeth, like you're just there, you're doing your thing. And you're just like, Oh God, all of a sudden I notice I'm really tucked under. I think if you are aware of it, getting out of that would be great. So 
an easy quote unquote fix would be to just like bend your knees. It's really hard to tuck your butt super hard when your knees are bent Mm. or staggering your stance. So like one foot is kind of further in front of the other, not like in tandem, but more like train tracks, like you would be for a lunge. Um, or even like if you're doing something like at a sink, um, you can open the bottom cabinet and put one foot up on the ledge and one foot on the ground. We talk about that a lot because that's a very active single leg position. You can still put weight through the the leg that's on the ledge. It's just like not as crazy as the one on the ground. So it's just kind of like changing your positions. You know, we always say like your next position is your best position. So I think if you're aware of it and you do want to correct it, that would be helpful, but you don't have to be like anal about it by any means. Right. Right. Because then it, because after pregnancy, when it continues on, that's when it becomes more of an issue when you're in this habit and then the, the visual change happens. Correct. Totally. And kids weigh a lot. Like, I mean, besides when they're like straight up newborn status, I mean, they get heavier and your body has also like been healing from this process. So depending on where you're at with exercise, like your body just might be like taking on a lot of load and it's not totally able to manage that. So it's just doing what it needs to do. Um, but you know, sometimes that comes at a detriment to ourselves and moms are always really hard on themselves to like do all the things all the time. And it's good to give themselves some me time and some grace. So that's again, where the strength training can come in or PT can help offset some of that. But I think you're right where like pregnancy, if we can resolve some things that would be cool, but definitely the main work is like not having that happen a ton during the postpartum phase. So how you're carrying your child is really huge. And, um, that, that becomes a little more convoluted based on like what else is going on in your body. Cause some people aren't comfortable with front holding. Sometimes that promotes it more because they just dip their hips forward even more so. And then like other people really like to pop that hip out because they're like, oh, now I'm not, you know, using my glute, but now you're depending on your hip joint for everything. And that's also uncomfortable. That could cause back pain. So it's like this cycle where we got to figure out like, what's going to be good for you in your situation. Does that make sense? Yes. What is the best way to hold baby? Yeah. It's a very uh, hard question to answer because of that. Cause it depends on what stage they're at. You know, does your kid weigh 10 pounds? Cause they're a newborn kind of area, or are they like 30 pounds? Cause they're like, you know, around one or something. Um, I personally say like, just not prolonged holding as, you know, as much as you can. So like I would call 20 to 30 minutes, like your max maybe. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, just like feeling the weight in your entire foot, right? Like that's going to help your whole body do its thing. Um, I think staggered stance and bending of the knees can make it a little more active. So like, I know when I hold my nieces and nephews, like I'll kind of like bounce back and forth with them. So I'm like moving instead of just statically holding. I know sometimes okay. that's not always feasible. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of my personal go-to. Um, not to say I don't end up in this position we're talking about where I'm tucked under, but I just don't stay there for a long time. Um, but I think when you can, I personally find that front holding can be a little more comfortable because you're more conscious of what's going on in your core muscles. And maybe that's just me. I don't have kids, so I don't have to do it all the time. So, you know, grain of salt, but I do have three youngins that are under two. So I do hold a lot when I'm with them. And I find that that tends to be the easiest for me because I'm like, oh gosh, like they're heavy here and I got to activate my abs a little bit and kind of move around. Yes. Yes. I want to go back to something that you said about the feet, because Mm -hmm. I think this is something we talk about in classes a lot. Just people are so unaware of their feet because we, I say this all the time, we shove them in socks and shoes that are too tight and constrictive and, you know, girls like their cute pointed shoes and boots and stuff. And our feet get very, um, 
neuroinsensitive and we forget, we just forget about them. And yeah, so I love the idea of feeling your feet underneath you. Is there, do you work with women with their feet? Because if it's, does a lot of it start there? I guess is my question. Totally. Yes. It's such a good question. And I could nerd out on this all day long. Um, Pelvic PTs for the most part are obsessed with feet and ankles because you can imagine if you're, I mean, the first thing to hit the ground, if it can't do its job, if it can't get that ground reaction force correctly and absorb that, like the foot should, and the ankle should, then the next thing it's going to do is ask your hips for help because your knee only moves in, you know, two directions, forwards and backwards. So it, it can't manage it the same. The ankle and the hip are very similar in that they have like a ton of rotation and movement. So when the ankle can't do something and the foot can't feel something correctly and it's got to compensate, it's going to be like, hip, help me. And then your pelvic floor is also in your hip. So it's going to take the brunt of that weight. So all of this is just going up the chain and every, like, I mean, you know, the Shannon, but every joint in our body is helping to absorb some sort of force or transmit something to somewhere else. Your hips are trying to transmit everything between your spine and your feet. So they're going to take the brunt of all of that issue. And so to your point, depending on the shoes we're wearing or how our foot is hitting the ground, um, something is going to happen. There's going to be a chain reaction somewhere. And so we always talk about, you know, like making sure that you can feel the arch of your foot and you can feel your big toe. Your big toe is so important for shock absorption and pushing off when you're walking. And if your big toe can't do something or the inside arch of your foot can't do something, then your femur or your leg bone can't internally rotate. Then your hips can't do like your hip muscles can't do a lot of what they need to do. And I think as a society, we forget a lot about hip internal rotation because we're in external rotation all the time. And for the layman, external rotation is like if you were to butterfly your legs out or sit crisscross applesauce, that's being an external rotation. So that's a whole diatribe. Like I said, I could go on forever, but feet are so freaking important. And the biggest thing, if you take away from this is like, just feel your ball, your foot and your heel and your big toe doing things like when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're exercising. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that like sensation sometimes just comes first. So just bringing awareness, like my foot, what, how, what do I feel underneath my feet? How am I like, where's the pressure in my foot? Can I wiggle all my toes? Can I like, can I move my ankle in? Can I draw the ABCs with my foot? Like a lot of people just can't do that because the motor awareness is just not there. Um, so I love that you said that because I think people will want to, they'll, they'll be like, okay, I have mom, butt, quote unquote, or the heart shape or whatever. So I need to start like working my glutes and they'll go immediately to start working their glutes every day. And it's like, wait, let's back up. Let's think about your system as a whole. Let's think about, are you breathing correctly? Are you holding baby correctly? Are you, um, feeling your feet? Like all of those little changes are probably going to have such a bigger impact. So I just love that you said that because we really just operate as a system. Yeah. And that's why the shoes or lack of shoes that we work out in are so important. So that's why I work out barefoot. Like you'll find me in my apartment gym and I take my shoes off and some people think that's gross and weird. And I'm like, that's fine, but <laughs> whatever. My feet are clean. Yeah, but... totally. Or you can wear, um, I love my toe socks. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like barefoot shoes are good for that. I mean, yep. there's definitely a transition period. So like if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I got to go buy barefoot shoes. Like if you've been in hokas or new balances or something that's really thick for a long time, like your feet are going to hurt when you first put those on. Cause it's going to yes. start making your foot muscles do a lot and they're going to not be used to that. So there is a transition period. And if anyone needs shoe recommendations, I have plenty and not to say I don't wear like cute shoes on the weekends. Like I'll still wear pointed shoes here and there and I'll wear yeah. heels and 
I mean, I'm a big shoe girl, even though like my PT side of me, I'm just wearing them like dorky, big toed, you know, tennis right. shoes. Right. Right. Outside of that, it's okay to wear the fun shoes. Just know that you need to offset that when you get home and like maybe put on some toe socks or some toe spacers, you know, there's yes. ways to offset our bad habits with our good habits. Totally. I feel the same way. I, Cause like, yeah. if you really think about it, you're not wearing the cute shoes for that long period of time. No. Like most people, unless you have a job where you're like wearing cute shoes yes. to work every day, in which case let's think about that. But right. can we, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole. Maybe we bring you yes. back to talk specifically about feet. Um, but just like top three tennis shoes or like yes. top, like if someone's like wearing the hope, which I, I'm not a huge fan of like the super supportive shoes. And it sounds like you maybe aren't either. And I know yeah, people no. are like, what, what, what are you talking about? But I it's know. because it de- it, they can detrain your feet basically. hundred percent. So what do you, yeah. what do you recommend if someone's like used to those really supportive shoes? What's kind of like, how can you grade that down to eventually working out barefoot? Yeah. Um, my favorite shoe of like all time, like I've had four pairs in the last four years. Um, Cause I wear them so much is ultra A L T R A. And they're fabulous. Like mainly they're called ultra running shoes. So people think, oh, they're only for runners. Let me tell you, I don't run. And I wear these like every day at work. I work out on them sometimes when I have to wear shoes. Um, I play pickleball in them. Like, you know, like I do things in them and they translate. I've even hiked in them before just to kind of see what happened. And my feet didn't hurt the entire hike and my back didn't hurt. And I have a history of back pain. And I was like, these are it, you know, like I went on a rocky three hour hike and didn't have issues. So Ultras are my favorite for like everything. And I think they're a good transition shoe because they have a wide toe box. Um, so your toes have space to move and feel the ground and there's zero drop, meaning like from where your toe is to where your heel is, there's, there's no change in like, you know, it's like almost like you're on the ground. It's flat. there's no heel basically. Exactly. And even though sometimes they can look a little cushiony, um, it's nothing compared to like all of our other shoes. And because of the zero drop, the cushion doesn't matter as much because your foot can still feel what's happening. Yeah. So I could rave about them all day. So that's my number one. Um, Number two would probably be if you, I guess if you were transitioning into a barefoot shoe, I would say like, I'm okay with like Asics and Brooks are all right. um, Because they do have like a really hard heel to them. And that helps support, um, the toe box isn't as wide on those as I would want to be. But like, if you're going to get like a popular shoe, that would be my choice is Asics or Brooks. Yeah. And then obviously like Vivo barefoot is like what I would call like the most popular gold standard for like a pure barefoot shoe. There's like little to nothing in between your foot and the sole. Um, I really like mine, but it took me, like I trained my foot for a good year and a half before I wore Vivos. So I wore ultras for a while before I tried the Vivos. And by the time I put on the Vivos, I was like, these are comfy. But I think if I had gone to those instantly, it wouldn't have been that. Yeah. I love that. That's super helpful. And like I said, we could probably do a whole podcast about feet. So we'll stop there. (laughs) Yeah. But they're important to your glutes. Yes. Yes. So back to the glutes in the mom butt thing, we talked about feet. We talked about how that's all important training your glutes. Cause we're not saying don't train your glutes. Correct. Correct. Yes. Correct. So what is a way if you're like, it's this person's like, I have identified, I have mom, butt, and you know, I'm, I'm past the six week postpartum phase, which to me, I'm kind of like, I don't know if you feel this way. Sometimes it's like in that fresh postpartum phase, maybe you're not worrying too much about that as far as like correcting it. Yeah, I think there's too many other things going on for the first, honestly, 12 weeks. Okay. Um, that like that's the least of my concerns, unless they're 
for some reason doing fantastically well in all the other areas. And we've just got like this one thing and it's like back pain or something that's related to that posture and position. So, I mean, like I'll chat with people about it, but I think there's tons of other concerns going on between like postpartum bleeding and all the phases of healing in the first few weeks and bowel movements and getting back into exercise and sleep and feeling like a normal human. Yeah. Totally. That's kind of what I thought you would say, but I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. I, so let's say you're months out from baby and you're identifying this. How do you recommend working glutes? Is it like, you know, we recommend, and I would love your opinion, you know, just working them like you would work any other muscle, like a couple of times a week. Yes. Using exercises that target the glutes, but not trying to work them every day. Do you have anything that you would add or take away from that? Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, the difference between exercise programs and rehab, as you know, is that like, typically we're telling people to do things fairly often with rehab because we're trying to get them out of bad habits, pain, bad positions or whatever. So yes, I'll have people work them daily, but we're talking like small sets. They're not hitting fatigue. So if we're working out, that's a different story. So I will answer for that question for anyone who's seen me for rehab, they're probably like, this is different. Yes. And that's yeah, because why. that's neuromuscular retraining, which is just exactly. like, basically you're, you're building the awareness to the muscle again so that it can do yes. its job versus yes. exercise and training is like actually creating muscle damage, which you need recovery from. I'm glad you made that delineation. Yeah. So definitely different instances, but in a workout realm. Yeah. I mean, this is part of why I like for listeners, I was a fan of Evlo before I ever like Shannon and I went to the same school. We didn't really know each other. Um, I know I can't believe we never knew each other at KU. I know. I know. It's crazy. But like, you know, cohorts don't really like see each other hang out that often. We have classes at different times. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes people are like, oh, you went to the same school. That's why you like Evlo. And I'm like, no, I literally don't know Shannon. Like a friend of mine that was also in my PT class told me about Evlo and it or Levo when it was that. And that like it was starting and I was a big fan because everything was backed by research. Like I love the way the thought process is. It's all very intentional. So I think what I would say is probably going to align with what you would say, I would hope. But long winded thing to get to my answer is if we were working out for the glutes, I would say my favorite activities, if we're talking exercise, would be like a Bulgarian split squat. Um, It would be like a single leg RDL, um, a step up an elevated bridge is what I call it, where like their heels are propped up on a bench or something. So we're getting a lot of hamstring mixed in with that glute because the glutes do not work in isolation when we're doing functional activities, like to extend our hip, like when we're walking, you need hamstrings also for that. You need other things. So I like focused exercise. Like we're not mixing in a ton of other things with it. Like I'm not doing upper body with lower body, but I'm still getting to the goal. And what I really like about a lot of single leg work besides the foot of it all is you can get that internal rotation moment without them really having to try that hard. So that's going to bias the glutes a little bit more in a way that we like. Yes. I love that. I totally agree. This is why I love having you on because we're just so aligned on so many things. (laughs) Um, Okay. So we talked about mom, but anything else you want to say about that? Or should we move on to core stability? Cause I feel like that was, that was really, really helpful. Everything that you just said. I'm so glad it was helpful. Um, I think you asked really good questions surrounding it. But yeah, I think leading into the core stability would make the most sense because that would be the other way we offset that outside of like working the posterior chain and focusing on the foot and everything and changing positions with day-to-day activities. Yep. Because this is another thing that I see all over social media is that 
stop doing crunches and start doing core stability. It will shrink your waist or it will like snatch your waist or this one core stability exercise, like made my, like my midsection smaller. I'm seeing that all over the place and it's driving me a little nutty. Yeah. Um, so first off, I think we both agree like core stability, you need it. It's great. But what's the validity of like making your waist look smaller by doing core stability? I literally don't know. I Same. I'm like, like, I don't, I don't understand where this is coming from. I, I don't get it. Like, yeah. I really don't like, yes. I think your obliques can help in that respect. And our internal obliques work a lot with our transverse abdominis to do the things they need to do and to get that deep core stability. So I guess that would be my only guess, but I think honestly, it's just a buzzword. It's just a way to get people to do their program or follow them or whatever. And like, if that's your goal, that's great. But don't, I just don't like the misleading of that, you know? Yeah. It um, gives people false I, I don't hope. Get it. I think it's like, yes. it's, it's gives people the idea. It makes it seem like doing core stability will suck you in and therefore like make you appear smaller. Yeah. Like, let me tell you how I do not have visible abs. And I've been working on core stability for uh, 10 years. And I would like to say I have a little bit more knowledge than most to be able to do that. And like, I'm still not with like a shrunken waist. Okay. Like, let right. me tell like it, it's, it's not about, because I think, well, number one, let's just talk about like, it doesn't spot treat fat. No, so you're not going to, you can't. And yeah, not that again, core stability is bad, but it's just, I think it's just super misleading. And I think the idea is that you should stop doing crunches because crunches will make your midsection larger and core stability will make it snatched. <laughs> I think the only reason I could see people saying, you know, crunch, I don't think crunches specifically do, but like maybe if somebody had like a really, you know, good background of the anatomy and everything, like I guess I would agree that when you use your six pack abdominal muscles and we're bearing down and holding our breath and flexing all of our abs as hard as we can, that yes, it does like puff your stomach upwards or outwards. So it can make your stomach appear quote unquote bigger in the moment, but in the moment time, while you're yeah, flexing in the it. moment. Yeah. But like not over time. Um, right. but also if you were to just like think in your head, like, Oh, suck in my stomach, your six pack abs are also going to activate at that time too. So like it can go either way. So I genuinely don't understand the the semantics of all of it. Right. I think it's like you get good at sucking in. And so while you're sucking in, it looks, you look smaller, but again, if you were yeah. to relax, it just goes back to its resting position, which we don't recommend. That's another thing yeah. is like, I, I think that this idea of core stability, the way it's presented sometimes on social media is that you should always be contracted. You should always be sucking in. And I know we've talked about this on another podcast, but that's something that you think can cause issues. It's like always being tight there. Yes. That's so funny you say that because in my head, that's exactly what I was thinking when we were just talking about that. I love it. Um, But yeah, I mean, like just again, a whole diatribe about core pressure management. But if you're constantly creating pressure at the top of that core trunk area, pressure is gonna have to go down because there's too much like suction or contraction up top. And so eventually that pressure is going to go out into your abdomen and down onto your pelvic floor. So you're going to cause yourself not only compensations that have to work around that now, but it could end up in pain, whether that's back pain or pelvic pain, um, pain with intercourse, leakage, prolapse, like constipation, like the list could go on. So yeah. not only is that like 
just not smart from a muscle perspective, but now you're going to actually add issues if you do that for a prolonged time period. Yeah. And let's just, for those that haven't listened to the first two episodes, which you yeah. definitely should, cause they were awesome. Let's just say, let's just talk about how someone, cause I think we're very used to cues from fitness instructors. And I was taught this as a fitness instructor. So no shame. It's just like, you know, we're, when we know better, we do better, but yes. like turn on your abs, turn on your abs, flex your abs, no matter what you're doing when you're exercising, what is the prop quote unquote proper way or safest way, I guess I should say to use your abdominals. Let's say you're doing like a lunge, like, or something where you're not directly targeting the abdominals. What's the best way to engage or not engage? Yeah. I love how you phrase that question because I know there's a lot of conjecture out there too, about how, like when you're not working your core, you're working your core. And like people say that phrase and I I get what they mean and they mean well, most of them. Um, but sometimes it ends up being that like, now we've got people flexing their abs all the time. Cause you're telling them when you're not working your core, you're working your core. So they're taking that as like a, Oh, when I'm not actually doing ab activities, I need to have my abs engaged. That's what they're telling me. And some people are saying that and some people actually aren't, but when you're doing something that's not directly related towards trunk stability or abdominal focus, like a lunge or like, even let's say a squat. And I'm not talking like a back squat with a barbell. I'm talking like a body weight squat. Mm-hmm. You don't need to directly do anything with your abs. Okay. Like mm-hmm. they're going to do their job if you're breathing correctly, because when we breathe correctly, things flow in the direction that we want them to pressure wise and subconscious contractions start happening without you needing to pay attention. And I don't know about y'all, but I would like to make my life like easier, not harder. So if I could just simply do one thing rather than five things to get the same effect then I would. So if we just properly inhale and exhale at the right moments, things will fall into place. Yes. I love that. That's why you'll not, you won't hear us saying in classes while we're doing like a step up or a Bulgarian, like flex your abs. We'll cue breath. So let's talk about breath because that's what you touched on is like, if you're breathing properly, then you will be creating enough stability or the proper stability to to be able to stabilize your spine and be quote unquote safe. Of course, form matters and other things matter, but just as far as this is concerned. So you want to talk about breath, how you breathe? Yes. I mean, like, this is what I like bank my whole persona on at this point, honestly, because I talk about it so much, but I truly don't know how you can be a pelvic health therapist or proponent and not talk about it. Because like I said, everything to do with the pelvic floor has to do with pressure management at the end of the day. Um, So basically, if you're asking Shannon about like exercise and how we breathe with that. Yes. um, I like to just say exhale where the effort is. Keep it simple. When you're fighting gravity or you're putting your muscles through the most work, that's where you want to exhale. And remember when we exhale our belly and our pelvic floor and all the things that you don't actively have to think about are already naturally kind of going to contract because the diaphragm has to rise back up. So pressure should be following that same vein. So everything should be rising anyways. So that's why when we are just breathing throughout our day or we're doing something that's not abdominal focused, our abs will do their job. So exhale where the effort is. So if you don't know what I mean by that, if you're doing a squat, a deadlift, a lunge, a split squat, you inhale on the way down, you exhale on the way up. That's as simply as I can put it. Now there's different like variations of that. Like let's say the more load you have on or cardio activities that starts to change. Um, but that's a little more nuanced and it depends on the person and it depends on how much weight you can handle. And that's when I would say like, go work with a well thought out trainer or a therapist or whatever. Um, or like, by my course that's coming out in March. We talked yes. about that. So not to plug myself, but to plug because no, we do talk seriously. about it. So 
we'll talk about that in a moment. Cause I think a lot of people, a lot of people need more detail yeah. in this. So when you're breathing out the, the purse breathing, the out through, is that what you recommend for pretty much every lift? Yeah. And I think the shush kind of helps if you're not feeling good about the exhale. Like if you're like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Like, I think that's when people can really like emphasize, like going like making vibrational noises. Right. But if you can just like what purse lips means is basically like, if you were going to blow out, like you're blowing through a straw or blowing out candles, like how we kind of like with our lips, they come together rather than like a big sigh exhale. We're like, right. Like we don't need a bunch of that. We can do the purse lip exhale better because it forces more CO2 out. So we can move more air through and it actually helps internally rotate your ribs or bring them back down and in. So all of that is basically just pulling your diaphragm back up to its resting position. And it creates all of that pressure to come up and out through our nose and our mouth rather than down in other areas where we don't want pressure to go. So yeah. That's a really good question. Super, super helpful. So bottom line is core stability. <laughs> Does it actually change the shape of your body? It's not, it's great, but we don't need to be constantly flexing our abdominals and doing core stability a ton in other exercises. Um, if you had a core stability move, cause then what I see is like core stability getting pretty fancy on social media. Is there a certain core stability exercise that you think everyone should be doing or should everyone be doing core stability? Or is it just like something that like, if you're feeling good and you're not having symptoms, you might not really need it. If you're able to like do crunches effectively without feeling the poop, like the um, abdominal lift, do you yeah. need it? What a thoughtful question. I'm like, Ooh, what I, I think I'm a, I'm, I'm biased towards like simple. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be super fancy and super hard to be effective. Sometimes it's just like, you know, if we're talking core stability as in like, let's focus on like our breath and our abdominals and like pressure management just by itself, like trunk. Um, I would bias myself to saying like, I really love a traditional like bear plank type activity or dead bug um, or dead bug variations. I do this all the time. Um, I think those are great foundational things to get down. And then obviously I'm biased towards Evlo and I love ball crunches. I think they're a really good way, especially for prenatal and postpartum moms to get the job done too, especially postpartum. Um, so yeah, I would say that those are like, kind of like my bread and butter on like simple, yeah, effective, good trunk stability activities. Yep. I love that. I love that. And probably most people can benefit from those. Like, I, like, yes. or at least like throwing them in, like what we've been doing in burn lately is just kind of throwing them into our warm up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Doing have focused activities during warm ups is so freaking good. Like people want to like stretch till the cows come home. And I always tell my runners, I'm like, do some abdominal activities, like short and sweet. Like it doesn't have to be like, we're planking for five minutes, but like just get your abdominal muscles going and your pressure management will start to improve. You're already going to feel stronger. So you're going to move better because your body feels stable yes. rather than like stretching everything to end range. And we feel like off kilter, you know? Yes. Like, or it's so good. Just, like taking some breaths and like yes. breathe, pull, like feel everything, like start to like engage and pull. I love that. I definitely think I'm going to start queuing that a little bit more in all of our classes, not just burn. I love that. It's so good. Um, last question. And you kind of touched on this a little bit about um, the ball crunches, which is something that we do a lot um, because I do believe that it's effective at loading the trunk, um, yeah. the front side of the trunk. 
But again, they seem to be getting canceled. Crunches seem to be getting canceled on social media. And I, again, I can't scroll past like five posts, every five, fifth post, it seems like it's like, stop doing crunches and start doing this instead. What are your thoughts? Like, can crunches actually cause pelvic floor issues? And what are, what are the actual real dangers of doing crunches? Because I think people are very confused about this. Yeah. I mean, I can see both sides of it. Like why some people, I don't think we should cancel crunches, but I can see why some people would say like, maybe there's something better out there that they could do. And if we're talking about a pure crunch from the ground, not ball crunches is what I'm talking about. Um, just because, yeah, I would choose like a hundred other activities besides a basic crunch from the ground. If it were me doing an ab activity, I'm also again, biased though, because of my whole pelvic floor side of things. And also I'm biased from a rehab perspective. Cause as you know, Shannon, like it's rare that I'm going to throw somebody into a crunch like day one that we meet, whether they were pregnant postpartum or never have had a child in their life. Like it's just, it's not my first thought. Um, but I don't think they're dangerous. I don't think that they should be canceled. And I think if we can do something that's like the same realm, like a ball crunch, just more biomechanically effective, then it's great. Um, I personally, from the postpartum perspective is where I see a lot of this. So I don't know if that's where you're seeing the same post, Shannon, but yeah, from like a postpartum perspective, why they get canceled a lot is I think they get threaded in often same with planks with the term of diastasis recti or DR or DRA. Yep. And you can do planks and crunches and have DR. It's all about how you do the activity though, which is true for any other exercise in life. Like how we focus around it, how we modify it, how we're breathing with it, how much weight we use, how many reps we're doing, like all that matters. So if we're doing crunches with no mindfulness to how we're doing them, then yeah, they could be not dangerous, but they could make things potentially a little worse. But if you do crunches with a mindful breath, with a good lower abdominal contraction to help support where that separation is, then you should be fine. Like I have given planks and crunches to many of folks I am working with for diastasis recti and they do great. Yeah. Like they feel strong there and it's just about how you're doing it. I think it's like, I agree that I can see where some of this is coming from in the sense that like traditionally a lot of abdominal work would be like a thousand crunches. Like you're doing bicycles, you're doing crunches for like five minutes on end and you're just ripping out thousands of reps and like you're just yanking on your head and you're not necessarily like, you know, focused and going slow and like breathing properly and like actually getting close to that failure point. You're just going until you feel the burn. So I totally, I totally agree with a lot of like, traditionally, maybe crunches might not be the best alternative in the way that they're done, like in the fitness world, a lot of times. So I love that. I think it's also good that you pointed out, like, it's not necessarily dangerous. It's just as long as the intention behind it and the you're you're using your deep abdominals, it, you're gonna be you're gonna, gonna be, be good. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's true for anything in life. Like, yeah, do it with intention and do it with a good mindset on like what we're going to do this activity for. And you'll have a good time with it. And if you don't, that's where you seek out help, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One more question about this. Um, prolapse. If someone has prolapse. Are crunches um, contraindicated? I don't think so. But I mean, that's just me. I think, again, prolapse goes back to the same idea of pressure management, right? That's what prolapse has occurred from. Um, We're mismanaging pressure. And over time, our ligaments have given away from that. 
And now our organ is like slightly displacing. Um, and I know plenty of people also who have had prolapse and have never had children. So I always like to say that because constipation is another big reason for um, prolapse because you're constantly holding your breath and straining to poop. But that's a whole other thing. But I don't think that crunches are dangerous for like anything. Like, again, you can modify around them if we can get the intention right. If we can like figure out why that's, you know, because like you even saying like, oh, I'm just yanking at my neck. Oh, for sure. Like. That's what it was for me with crunches. I was killing yeah. my neck every time I would do them. And then after I got used to like not pulling from my head anymore, cause I was taught wrong in high school or whatever, then they started to feel better. You know, it's all about like how we're doing the movement and where it's coming from. So I don't think it's going to make prolapse worse. Let me tell you what's going to make prolapse worse is poops. I would say that that's going to be more dangerous for you than a crunch. And it's like, are you not going to poop every day? Right. Right. I love your thought process on this. It's just like taking away kind of the fear mongering around it. Cause I think people are so afraid to like work their muscles and like, you should not be afraid in my opinion to work any muscle as long as it's not like hurting or causing issues. I mean, as long as you're listening to your body and you're not like moving past these signals that your body is giving you, like working your body, strengthening your muscles is generally like indicated for most people. So I love that you talk, talk about it in that way. Yes. I so agree. And I think you can relate to this too, just with your PT history of just like, we, as a society get into this like thing of like, when something hurts, we want to shy away from it, you know, Mm -hmm. and like totally rightful to do so in terms of like, if we're getting pain signals for certain activities and movements, but if it's just like a general achiness, like, Oh, I just, I didn't, you know, I sat a lot today. My low back's bothering me. I would take movement over rest any day on that type of pain. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I don't know if there's so much fear out there because there's so much access to information and it's just like, let's come back to reality a little bit. And I kind of like to sit in the middle on most things where I'm like, what's going to be functional for this person and what's going to be reality for them versus like, what's just going to be like off the wall, like impossible for them to avoid or not do. Totally. I think that's where that falls. I think that, I mean, we could have a whole nother conversation about pain and and exercise, but I think that, yeah, like it doesn't need to be so black and white. It doesn't need to be all or nothing. It can be, you could fall somewhere in between. And I I just, I love that. I think that's honestly what more people need to hear, but unfortunately that's not what gets the most attention on social media because like, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but it's, it's what's going to give you the best results ultimately. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, just a personal thing. I get asked a lot about like, you know, you get this like social media growth and all the things. And I just, I refuse to put out cookie cutter stuff just to get followers. Like I really, like I've had really slow growth since I saw my Instagram and I don't care. Like, I don't want, I'm not on there to be popular. I'm not on there to like get followers and subscriptions and all this stuff. Like I'm literally just out there to help people. And I know that sounds really cheesy and whatever, but like, I mean, we get enough of that crap every day, so we don't need more of it. I love your approach to social media because you're funny and yet you're like <laughs> every, every post that you do is valuable, which again, you're not, I, I love, I feel strongly about this too. I'm not going to do the clickbait stuff. Like I'm yeah. just not going to yeah. like, I just, you know, that's how you grow honestly is doing the clickbait yeah. stuff. So, but it's not, it's not ultimately useful for, for people. So everyone needs to go follow Amelia on social media. <laughs> She is so good. What's your handle again? Um, Dr. Period Amelia A M E L I A underscore D P T. Which I need to change it. That's so generic, but who cares? Yeah. (laughs) If if you search Dr. Amelia, it'll probably pull up. 
Um, and I follow her too, so you can go check on mine, but tell us about your course because, and by the way, y'all, I am not like, this is not, she's not paying me to say any of this. I just believe in Amelia so much and, and Genesis, the company that she works for. And I just think that so many women need more education about this. So she's not paying me to say any of this. I just truly, really want y'all to go check this out. So tell us about, cause you have a course coming up. So tell us about that. Yeah, no, it's so sweet of you. Um, so thank you. Our course is, um, it's from Genesis, but my coworker, Bryn Babb and I have been working on formulating something just for everyone. Like truly every person can benefit from this. And I know the idea of like a course about breathing doesn't sound very sexy and you're like, who cares? But I hope with like anything from now, the three podcasts I've done with Shannon, that y'all can understand how integral this is to your life um, and how like it is the most basic thing we do to keep us alive. And that alone should tell you how important it is. Right. And you're like, well, I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm surviving. But most of us, I would say like 95% of us are not breathing correctly for the most part of the day. And so if you feel like you're dealing with chronic pain, urine leakage, prolapse, you're pregnant, you're postpartum, um, your workouts are like not getting you anywhere. Like you don't feel strong in your trunk and your core. Um, you're having trouble sleeping. You have a lot of anxiety. Your nervous system feels like it's in fight or flight all the time. Like, I feel like everything I just said is like a very large majority of us falls into one of those categories. Right. So literally all of our listeners that are like burned out and not seeing results from their workouts. It's like, let's back it up. Let's go, (laughs) go take this course. I mean, seriously, I'm going to take it. I can't wait. That's so sweet of you. I think it's, it's really good. And it's going to be super like digestible for everybody. Like this is not just for health professionals and PTs. Like you know, it's going to take maybe two hours, three hours maximum, depending on how slow you want to take it. We just briefly go over some anatomy, just a little bit about like the rib cage, the diaphragm, the pelvic floor. We go over what the core is and how to properly manage pressure through it and why that's so important. And um, I just think that education alone is not out there um, for the general population. And then we also take that through exercise. So if you're struggling to breathe well, what are some positions you can try and some things you can do to improve that? Um, what if you're dealing with things like pain and what are some positions that can help? Um, where do I breathe when I'm running, when I'm jumping, when I do squats, when I do all sorts of movements, we go through upper body movements. Like we kind of guide you through that process and you can do it with us and you can like hear and see us do it. And I don't know, there's so many good nuggets in there. Like it's, I'm really excited about it. So it's, it's crazy because I hear from so many people. I I cannot tell you how many people I recommend going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Oh, like yeah. I would say every day. I'm like, I recommend you probably need to go see a p- pelvic floor PT, but for some people that's not super accessible. And you're not saying this is a replacement for physical therapy, but this could be a way if, if physical therapy isn't super accessible for you right now or whatever to kind of bridge that gap and to help get things going in the right direction, which I just love that you're making this accessible to people. So how can they find it? it you're, you have a wait list right now, correct? And by the time this comes out, it might be fully out. So tell us yes. just like, so do they just go to your social media? Yes. So um, on my social media in my bio, the first first little thing in the link is um, to go to our wait list. But also if you just go to genesisptwellness.com and in our menu bar, you find um, a little link that says breathe better. That is the name of the course. And if you click it, um, you can either sign up for the wait list and the wait listers will get first access to it and a little bit of a discount, which is great. And then if the course is out by the time you go there, then you can just sign up and get the course. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Amelia, thank you so much. Any other, any other things that you want to talk about or any other ways people can find you besides social media and Genesis? 
Oh, you're so kind for asking. No, our website is really where we do a lot of things. And honestly, we're huge on social media. Like I found Genesis on social media. That's how I got this job. So it's, it's wild, but that's where we like to access people. So thank you so much for having me and talking about my course is so sweet of you. So yeah, of course, like I said, she did not even ask me to talk about this. I just believe (laughs) in her so much. So she, she's too nice and humble to even ask, but I was like, you have a course, right? Tell me about it. So anyways, thank you so much, Amelia, for coming. And thank you listeners for listening. We will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.